All right, legends, welcome along to uh, Scheme Me Up Body. God almighty, I almost forgot the name of my own bloody podcast. Scheme Me Up Body, we're getting into Star Trek Discovery. Once again here, we're going to go on to this season one episode called Choose Your Pain. And this one here, I really enjoyed this one. And uh, now that I know where the series is going, or where it went... I should say, um, <laughs> there's a character in this that pops up, and it's it's insanely obvious about this character once you actually find out what's happening. But we're going to get into it in due course. But we're just going to kind of jump into it as uh, we'll just skip over the episode, and uh, you know, I'll give you a few of my thoughts of watching it. Very. Very good episode. So we begin with uh, a dream sequence, essentially that Burnham's having, and uh, you know you see the the ship, and you get a look at the bridge, mess hall, sick bay, the corridors, and whatnot, and there's no one there. The ship is completely empty. We get into uh, engineering, and uh, we see Burnham. She's looking at herself standing. Ripper's Chamber, you know, this, the, the name that they give this creature that's, uh, you know, helping the spore drive work. And of course, she's worried about this creature that it's every time they use the spore drive, they, the animals are getting hurt. And uh, she is really struggling with this and her subconscious essentially as well as in real life. Um, so, in the dream, she's in the chamber, but there's also an R version of her standing at the controls and the version standing at the controls switches them on and of course they she gets essentially stabbed in the chest by the machine like the way that Ripper would be and uh, she starts screaming and the camera pans over to the, the other version of her at the controls and she's screaming as well but she wakes up from the nightmare and she looks over at Tully who's asleep and snoring um, yeah, this is a, the first thing Tully told her whenever she, Burnham was roomed in with her that uh, you know I was supposed to get a room in my own because I'm a, a snorer and all this sort of stuff so we see that in this episode um, Lorca's lab later on Burnham is consulting with Dr. Culber about the tardigrade and she says it's in pain whenever the ship activates the spore drive and Culber responds that uh, humans don't know if the creatures experiences stress or pain like they do. Uh, Burnham believes that the doctor thinks she is, you know, making it up essentially because you know she feels bad for her being the one been responsible for discovering that this creature was the essential part to using the spore drive. Culber notes uh, that, but uh, he promises he'd run some tests. Um, we then see Captain Larkley speaking during a briefing at a Starfleet Admiral's uh, meeting at a space station. And he's talking about the Discovery successes during the last three weeks of the war, you know, preventing the destruction of the Dilithium mines and Carvin 2, breaking a Klingon supply line and, uh, you know, taking out some 
rewriting or writing an attack for another system. Uh, Admiral Cornwell notes that they, the reason Lorca has been brought to the briefing is to get the Discovery's experimental spore drive technology installed and as many of the Starfleet ships as they can. Now, uh, again, just I think I've said this before in the reviews of this show, there was a big uh, hee-haw online whenever this came out that it was set 10 years before the events of Star Trek the original series and there was never any chat of uh, spore drive technology and whatnot. so you know uh, exactly where this series is going to go as far as the spore drive goes and the the chronological order of Star Trek they're not going to screw with that this is the series Pretty much all the series now is uh, set in the prime timeline, essentially, that uh, we know and love from the original series and Next Generation and the rest of them. So they're not going to screw about too badly with it. Like, they are going to make changes. I'm happy enough with that. You know, it's... Uh, you need to move for the times. You know, but there's just some things you're not going to screw about with. So, you know, what they eventually do with the Discovery and the Spore Drive technology at the end of season two was absolutely no surprise I think to it wasn't no surprise to me that's the only way they could have went off it to protect the the history or the future history you may as well say at this this stage because it is ten years before the original series so they what they did was essentially the only thing they could do with it but you know we'll get there in due course um, but this is the episode where it's been brought up that the the fleet needs this spore drive technology and all their ships, but Larker remarks that he has asked uh, Lieutenant Stanmetz to release schematics of the ship's propulsion system immediate, immediately after the first successful jump. And Cornwell tells the captain the Starfleet's newest classified facility in Jefferson, Iowa, has received them and is building more units. However, Starfleet needs more tardigrades to ensure safe navigation. Over Lorca's objections, Cornwell informs him that Starfleet wants the Discovery to scale back on its missions. You know, this is the the only ship that has the spore drive technology that can jump safely in and out of battles. And uh, she's concerned that if they lose the Discovery, they're going to lose the war. So they want him to scale back, not get too involved in it, and let the rest of the fleet take on the the burden of the fights at this point. Um, these concerns are from the highest leadership in Starfleet, Cornwall notes. Uh, Klingons, she says that they, the Klingons may have uncovered Discovery as Starfleet's secret weapon and she orders Lorca to reduce the use of sport drive unless authorised to do so by Starfleet command. She also announces that the, the rest of the fleet will pick up the slack. And, you know, I'm jumping ahead in my notes here. You know, talking nonsense then I'm coming back to see what rooting down rooting down rooting there's a brand new word for you you're very much welcome for that uh, <laughs> so back on board the, the discovery uh, Cadet Tully wakes up to Burnham Burnham wakes up walks up to Burnham in the mess hall I can't read my own writing sometimes you know it's crazy uh, you know they say that's a sign of super intelligence whenever you're 
your writings about the messed up side and whatnot. And that's why doctors' prescriptions and stuff they got there. Just they, they write this stuff out, and you're like, "What the heck is this here?" It looks like, you know, somebody just went to write something, and then somebody slapped them up the back of the head, and they fell across the page. And that's, that's you know, that's what the writing looks like. But apparently, it's a it's a sign of super smartness and super intelligence. So I might actually be a stealth genius. Well, I haven't discovered it yet, but it is what it is. Anyway, back to the episode. Tilly walks up to Burnham, the mess hall. She's sitting, eating, uh, tells her roommate that she looks awful. Burnham sarcastically thanks her, and Tilly says that they need to have lunch together, and she will tell her what's going on. There's nothing to tell. Burnham replies, but Tilly frets over this, noting that there's so many more interesting people than her on the discovery that she must have made many new friends by now. By now. She's... Uh, the outsider in this series, especially in uh, season one here, and uh, you know she's thinking that Burnham's response to her is the fact that you no know, Burnham doesn't want to hang out with her, and she's maybe making new friends, and Tilly's going to be left behind again. But uh, Burnham assures her that it's not her fault. Uh, it's her what she's going through. She's been preoccupied with uh, Rubber's condition from the use of the spore drive, and she's got the she has no job to do aboard the ship, essentially. Uh, Tilly notes that this will give Burnham the time to reflect upon herself. What she doesn't like, really. Uh, I love feeling feelings, the cadet replies. Uh, back aboard the, the station, Lork is treating the, his damaged eyes in a darkened briefing room. When Cornwall enters, turns on the lights, Lorca, he freaks out, he's in pain. Loudly demand that they be turned down, and uh, Cornwall wonders why he has not yet gotten treatment for his eyes. Lorca tells her that he does not trust doctors. Um, you know, I could go into some more details here, but that's going to destroy future episodes. Like, and you know, as recording this here, I've, like I've watched up to the end of season three at this point, so I know exactly where things is going. And uh, you know, uh, yes. I know more than I should know for this episode, essentially, doing this recording. She sees us as a personal slight, given the fact that she is a doctor. Lorker replies that it is punishment for blindsiding them during the strategy session. Cornwell bring, then brings up... Uh, Lorca brought the mutineer, Michael Burnham, aboard the Discovery. Of course, he was going to face us sooner or later. But uh, Lorca quotes Starfleet regulation... 13982. I'm making good notes here. <laughs> Which allows him to pretty much bring on anybody that he feels necessary in a time of war. Cornwall notes that many see Burnham as the cause of Starfleet's conflict with the Klingons and uh, her avoiding justice for actions during the Battle of the Binary Stars. Doesn't do a good lot for to help the morale of the rest of Starfleet, but Lorca reminds her it's his ship and it's his way. Um, not long after this here, Lorca's aboard a shuttlecraft en route back to the Discovery when it's ambushed by a Klingon battlecruiser. Lorca and the shuttle pilot arm themselves with phaser rifles. I remember to say phaser this time instead of laser guns. <laughs> if you've listened to some of the previous podcasts, I said laser guns instead of phaser. Like, aged. Um... They're standing ready to fight 
uh, the, the airlock, the Klingons bust onto the ship. The pilot's killed straight away, and uh, Captain Lorca is uh, dragged in as a prisoner. And Laurel is there. Uh, she says she and her fellow Klingons. What? My notes make absolutely no sense. Laurel's there, the Klingon that, uh, you know, defied the, the torchbearer and then uh, got him trapped upon the the wreckage of the, the Starfleet vessels at the Battle of the Binary Stars and then tells him that, you know, you need to give up everything for a chance that, you know, getting to where you need to go. But again, knowing where this episode or this series went with the few of the characters as far as the Klingons goes, you know, uh, seeing it here, it's, it's a dead giveaway. But less it about that, the better. If you haven't known the series, if you haven't seen the series and you're just listening to these podcasts, as an outside interest, you know, I don't want to destroy it too badly for you. So, um, on the bridge of the Discovery, uh, Cornwell Vela by a hollow communicator, um, that's another thing that people kicked off about in this season one of Discovery was the, the holographic communications and the show. What? What is going on here? This is 10 years before the original series. They don't have this type of technology, and that is very true, and they do deal with it within uh, not this season, but season two of Discovery. Uh, she tells the, the first officer... Commander Saru, that Lorca's been taken prisoner by the Klingons. They don't know where he's been taken to. Uh, the Klingons' warp trail dissipated before they could discover its destination. Uh, she said this was a target of abductions, and the Klingons have possibly taken Lorca to learn more about Discovery's propulsion system and the spore drive and whatnot. Saru confidently informs the Admiral that they will find the captain. Uh, after she gets off the communication, Saru orders the helmsman to plot a course that will take them to the shuttle's last coordinates at maximum warp. And he also orders uh, the operations officer to establish search parameters section, sector by sector in relation to the escape vectors correlating to all known Klingon bases. So uh, a lot of big uh, techno babble in this episode as well. Um, after he issues the, all the orders there, Saru's fret ganglia engages and this thing pops out the back of his head and everybody starts getting worried and panicked about things. Uh, Burnham enters the bridge at this point and she wants to speak to the captain. She's no clue that the captain has been abducted by the, the Klingons. And uh, Saru says that will not be possible now. He's gone and he orders... Ariman, Ariam, I swear to God, I can't read my own writing. Uh, inform Stan Metz that they'll likely make multiple jumps throughout Klingon space with the spore drive to rescue the cabin. Burnham takes issue with the commander's plans, telling that she does not know how feasible it would be. So, uh, excuse me, I'm drinking a lamb sip because I think I'm coming down with the, the Black Death or something. But anyway, in Lorca's ready room, Saru and Burnham discuss the situation further, and she says that she has become concerned. They're negatively impacting Ripper with every jump, 
and uh, you know, every time the spore drive is activated, this thing's freaking out, and it's 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 going to kill it essentially. So he reminds her that he has was told the creature was virtually indestructible, but Burnham disagrees. However, she cannot provide Saru with the proof to back up the assumption, and he does not find this helpful and reminds her that they must rescue the captain, and she tells him she doesn't know how many more jumps the tardigrade can sustain. Uh, the more you hurt someone, the less helpful they become, essentially is what you're saying here, which is true. Uh, Saru demands she focus on the task at hand and not bring up the tardigrade again until Lorca is safely back on board the Discovery. Dismissing Burnham, Saru asks the Discovery's computer to list Starfleet's most decorated commanding officers, both living and deceased, uh, listing notable captains such as April, Archer, Dacker, Georgiou and Pike. So, you know, you, there straight away, you, you Archer from uh, Enterprise, of course, that was previous to the time we're at in this episode, and of course Captain Pike as well. Um, he wants the computer to analyse the data related to his performance as an acting captain of the Discovery and cross-reference with the, the success of these other captains and uh, note where deviations occur. You know, he's, he hasn't got a lot of confidence in himself as a, a captain. And, uh, you know, this is the first time he's been a... Uh, to the, the height of being a forced officer on a ship. So there, there's a lot of his own... Uh, you know, he's, he's fighting himself on his head, essentially, when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, he tells the computer there is an element aboard the discovery that causes him to second guess himself which is of course Burnham and the, the computer suggests an alternative he could eliminate the destructive element <laughs> and he's just like ah it's not an option um, aboard the Klingon ship there are faint screams in the distance Lorca he's unconscious lying on the floor someone is carefully looking through his Starfleet jacket uh, Lorca grabs the man by the throat and he demands the, the man to identify himself and it's, that's good old Harry Mud, Harcourt Fenton Mud. Uh, this guy popped up a lot in Star Trek, the original series and he was one of these characters that was an insane pain in the backside for Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. So it was good to see that character getting an outing again here in uh, Discovery um, Mud tells Lorca sarcastically there on a resort of Altaris Minor and he should try the spa <laughs> he's a great character I like Mud a lot Lorca asks again where they are typical Starfleet no fun at all um, he tells the captain they're on a Klingon prison vessel and uh, Lorca wonders why Mud, a civilian, is on board one. And he tells Lorca the only crime he's guilty of is loving too much. He tells the captain of a sweet Stella. You know, we start to get into this. Uh, you know, of course, we eventually see where Mud goes and what he becomes and more of Stella as we go on. It is. He's a funny, funny character that in this... Uh, version of Star Trek, he's a little bit more palatable, let's just say um, 
the original version of Mud was uh, that's kind of hard to describe it. it it wasn't exactly PC let's just say so we were getting a, <coughs> a version of Mud and the series that is just a little bit easier for the the crazies out there to deal with I think but anyway um, uh, he borrowed a large sum from non-traditional lenders essentially and he bought her a moon to show her his love uh, and he said it worked like a charm until he fell behind his payments he was chased by his creditors all the way into the Klingons' hands when the war broke out and they were deposited on him in a prison ship where he awaits his fate. So it's, it's madness just to see mud turn up here of all places. But great to see the man. Um, there's a wounded Starfleet officer moaning in pain over in the corner and uh, two Klingons enter and ask, choose your pain. And Mud points towards the weakened Starfleet officer that's on the ground. The Klingon officer punches the man, throws him around, kicks seven shades of shit out of him, essentially, and uh, until he's kicked in the head. And uh, you think he's dead, but no, he's not. Uh, the Klingons drag him out, and uh, Mud explains that the Klingons regularly ask their prisoners to choose their pain, and they can choose themselves for a beating or choose one of the other cellmates. Uh, this is done to prevent the inmates from bonding. Lorca notices that Mud seems to be free from any bruises and injuries, and Mud tells him that, you know, he's learned to choose wisely. Yeah, don't judge. Mud says, you're going to want to stick with me. I'm a survivor, just like you are. Um, and back at Discovery, an engineering Burnham enters with Dr. Culber, and... Uh, Warns her that Culber warns her that Stamets never listens to him, and she thinks she can handle him. And he's like, "Please show me how." You know, uh, I don't think she knows at this point that uh, these two Culber and Stamets are actually lovers. But uh, yes, of course they're going to find that out soon enough. But uh, you know, it's, it's their own business and nobody else's. Excuse me, while I take another drink of my limbs up. Mm. After doing a bit of posturing around Stamets and how a sport drive is revolutionary and beyond genius, you know, she's really trying to kiss his ass, give his ego a wee stroke. And uh, uh, he's just saying, yeah, I know I'm brilliant. He wonders why Culber's with her and explains, explaining that they're concerned about the, the physical effect that the frequent jumps are having on the on rubber. Culber explains that medical scans on the frontal lobes show uh, deterioration. Burnham believes they must find a workaround that does not involve the tardigrade being the critical component of the spore drive. If they don't find one, they could lose them both, as well as Captain Lorca. And Stan asks Culber if there's someone's discovery that requires his attention, so he's more or less just saying, yeah, yeah. I've got the information that you wanted to give me. Is there somebody else you could be dealing with? And he's like, yeah, of course there is. And off he goes and leaves Burnham to argue further with Stanmitz until Stanmitz asks her if she wants to be right or if she wants to fix it. He aboard the Klingon ship, uh, much sleeping, Lorca comes across the male Starfleet officer that got the kick in earlier on. He's lying on the floor. Uh, Starfleet officer tells Lorca he was pulled out of rotation 
the man explains that sometimes the Klingons let them heal up so that they can last longer. And, uh, you know, he's, like, he's surprised that there's a Starfleet captain on here. And uh, they sit down, they've got a chat together. And uh, this guy offers Lorca scrap of food. Lorca refuses at the beginning, telling him that, you know, this guy needs to keep up his own strength. He's already lost one captain, this guy says, and he's not losing another, identifying himself as Lieutenant Ash Tyler. Now, that's going to be an interesting character moving on, but knowing the series and already skipping ahead and you know seeing up as far as season three, you know who this guy actually is. He tells Lorca's former command officer was Stephen Marinville of the USS Jaeger. And Taylor was captured at the Battle of the Binary Stars and he's been in prison for seven months. And Lorca suggests that Tyler may be a liar as no one survives torture at the hands of the Klingons for seven months and asks the lieutenant if they have the reason to keep him alive. And Tyler, exp- Tyler explains that they, the female captain of the Klingon ship has taken a liking to him. But again, there's more to that story than we're getting here at this point. Lorca mm. wants to get his hands on an act of calm relay to signal the discovery for extraction and uh, Tyler's dubious of this as they are deep within Klingon territory but Lorca assures them that discovery can rescue them just then the, an insect crawls between them uh, Mud if I see that pet of yours again Tyler says as the insect crawls up Mud's shoulder uh, with Tyler's scrap of food uh, he's this little creature, this little animal, this little like you know, God knows what it is, some little alien creature that he's keeping as a pet. Uh you know, and Tyler's gonna kill it. But Mud says while eating the the scrap that he's stolen off him, uh apologies, Lieutenant, uh Stuart has boundary issues. Uh, Lorca questions why Mud would take food from the only two men stand between him and death. And Mud explains that they had a good life and respectable business up until it got blown up by Starfleet in the war. He's really angry towards Lorca and this other guy because you know you don't it's okay for you flying about up in the stars and your starships and whatnot. And you're just you're not seeing the the people that are really taking the brunt of your nonsense, essentially. And, uh, yeah, Mud tells him that uh, Starfleet officers uh, like him are getting tired of getting caught in the crossfire. And then again, at this point, two Klingons land on, grab Lorca by the fruit and take him away. Back in the Discovery, uh, Stan Metz is explaining the problem of how the spore drive is killing rubber. Uh, explaining how the mycenaeal network acts as a matrix that serves as an intergalactic freeway system. That's a great, great uh, idea that they've come up with in this series. But again, one that they couldn't continue on, knowing the history of Star Trek. So there's a lot of technical babble in this here as they're trying to work out how, how to get a workaround to uh, save the tardigrade from more damage to this thing to navigate this network because it's a, a symbiotic relationship with the, the spores um, rubber kind of borrows DNA from the mycelium 
That's granted all access travel throughout the galaxy, essentially. Tully suggests building a virtual ripper. Of course, this will be something that you were that have already tried to do. Of course, in the Glen, that's the sort of thing. Uh, well, they've tried it here on the Discovery as well, and uh, of course, on the Glen as well, which ended badly. Um, the spores in the drive are not functioning only a fraction of their capacity until they enter just 11 co-pilot. Stan Metz announces that all they have to do is relieve Ripper uh, to introduce the same sequence into a compatible host. Uh, so it's just, you could take him out and put an R11 individual in there is essentially what they're thinking about at this point. But uh, yes, this is the point in the series. I had a problem with the first time I watched it and again watching it again again watching it again today to uh, do this recording it's something that and swearing isn't something new in Star Trek happens a lot um, you know in a couple of the movies uh, Kirk called the the Klingons a Klingon bastard you killed my son but uh, you know for the longest time I never seen that cut of the of the movie because you know that was most of the times Star Trek was aired on television and I was going up that sort of stuff was all cut out um, people were overly sensitive to that sort of thing back in the day uh, especially here in the UK and in, in Ireland but uh, you know and then you had the Klingons throughout the next generation if they were going to call someone a name they would have slagged them off in Klingon. So you knew they were swearing, but they were doing it in Klingon. But in this episode, they're working things out. And Tilly goes, you guys, this is so fucking cool. And there's a whole big part. Well, not a big part, but there's... Stamets actually stops and looks shocked that she said this sort of thing. And uh, she apologises to the tenant for the outburst. And he's like, no cadet. It is fucking cool. But for me... That just doesn't feel right in Star Trek. You know, and and for me, I uh, and I said it before in the season one of uh, Picard was an hour time that had happened. So I covered it in that. But it just, it, for me, it, it feels really out of place for Star Trek. And uh, I'm a Kevin Smith fan. You know, I don't have a problem with swearing if it's done properly within context. But I think here in the Star Trek, the only reason they've done it is because, you know, we can do it now because we can do it now. So it just it felt really forced on there on both occasions. Meanwhile, back with the Klingons, Lorca, he's strapped into a chair while Lorel speaks to him in English and asks him if he's ever been tortured and you know he compliments her that her that her English is very good, and she tells him well she is descended from spies. Languages are useful to learn, particularly those she notes who seek to destroy the Klingon Empire. And she tells him that uh, they've been busy the last three months, referencing the discoveries, uh, rescue of the Carvin system, their disappearance without a trace. Demand to know the vessel's secret, so you know the, the discovery secret is well and truly out at this point. The Klingons know what's going on, uh, but Lorca, of course, you know, he just 
tries to act like he doesn't know what she's talking about. Uh, Lorel also reveals her knowledge of Largo's sensitivity to light, and she's going to torture him by, you know, uh, pretty much just getting, you know, he's got this uh, machine, he's strapped to the chair, and the machine opens his eyes for him, his eyelids, so they're trapped open, he can't close his eyes, and she's basically going to blast light under his eyes to torment him. Uh, Yes, uh, so that's it. Lorca yells out in pain. He's getting tormented. Um, Saru emerges from the, the ready room back in the Discovery and asks Lieutenant Reese when uh, his analysis of Discovery's long range sensor data will be complete. Reese responds that they have narrowed it down to three potential courses which pass through the, the MEMPA system. Um, again, my writing is absolutely shocking. Saru asks Star- Stan let's be made aware that they'll be proceeding on a rescue mission, uh, but he's told that Stan Metz has taken the spore drive offline, and to find out why, Saru heads down to engineering and finds Tilly, Stan Metz and Burnham are looking for a compatible DNA sequence, uh... He demands to know why the drive was taken offline, and Stamets informs him that uh, they're working and trying to find a substitute for the, the tardigrade. Um, recalling their earlier conversation, Saru informs Tilly and Stamets that Burnham, Burnham was told to stand down until they rescued the captain, but uh, obviously this is something that she was never going to do. Um, anyway, Burnham shows Saru a heap of spray containing the tardigrade DNA and replication catalyst to initiate a rapid gene transfer and a host. You know, so they've got a bit of a workaround here, but they don't know if it's going to be successful or not. But uh, Saru, is, he freaks out because you know, you're suggesting a human host. Uh, reminder that eugenics experiments are expressly forbidden. She knows this and tells him that they need more time. Saru freaks out, gets angry, tells her he gave her an order. She responds that she knows as Kelpian culture is supposed to be unheightened, look out for enemies, but she assures him that she's not one of them. He gets even more angry at this point. Now, don't blame him. You know, like he's in the he's in the role of captain, acting captain at the minute. And this woman has been a complete pain in the arse for him since she turned up. And now, in front of two of the properly conscripted members of the Discovery, she's talking back to him. Uh, so he gets under, he tells her that Saving Ripper will not bring back nor change the fact that her current behaviour is exactly the kind that led to the death of Captain Georgiou. Then, Reese Hill Suri tells him that they have located... The battle cruiser Lorca has been captured on. Saru orders that Stamets bring this board drive online and the Burnham can find herself to her quarters immediately. Back over in the prison ship, Lorca's placed back into his cell and pushing mud, Lorca grabs his pet and finds a, a transmitter attached to it. So mud, he's been uh, pretty much spying on them on behalf of the Klingons. You know, he'd sell them anybody out 
the save his own ass essentially. Uh, Lorca says that he dropped a little conversational nugget uh, at the beginning to save Mud or Tyler can be trusted. And he tells both of them that he just had his words parted back to him from Laurel. At this, Lorca shows froze the little animal against the wall. Uh, Mud f- freaks out and he almost killed him. Taylor then starts in mud, shoves him under the wall, tells him he is finished. When the time comes to choose their pain, Larkin and Taylor will both choose mud. Uh, after their confrontation, mud walks over to Larkin and asks if he's going to let an idealistic young man like Tyler humiliate himself, siding with the likes of him. So we get a bit of a an insight into uh, uh, Larkin's past in this episode. Uh, Mud reveals that Lorca was previously commanding officer of the USS Buran, a vessel that was ambushed by Klingons a month into the war, and only one crew member was able to escape. Lorca, the captain, and Mud's like, you know, you're all high and mighty now, like you were too good to go down with your ship, essentially. And, uh, you know, Lorca just, you know, admits to everything that's going on here, but he's just uh, he did escape, but he did not let his crew die. He blew them up, knowing what what awaited them on Kronos, uh, the Klingon homeworld, uh, namely de- degradation, torture, and a still painful public death. Uh, he did what he did. He felt the right thing to do was to uh, kill them before they, the Klingons could torment them. So back in the Discovery, Stanmets has, uh, Saru has Stanmets engaged this war drive. The ship goes on to black alert. Stanmets beams Ripper under the chamber, activates this war drive. However, Ripper collapses uh, in the chamber and he goes into a state of extreme cribatosis. That's a big, big word for this time of night. Essentially what he does is he reduces the water content of his body to less than 1% and he goes into like a coma and it looks like death. But, you know, if, you know through scans, there's he's, he's one of the CFD mode, essentially. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a well-animated sequence, the way they've done this here. And you just, the creature was that much pain that's went into the survival mode, essentially. But that meant that the 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 discovery can't has has jumped to where almost where it needs to be, but it can't get back out of Klingon space without the spore drive. So they're in trouble right now. Um Saru simply orders that they rehydrate the creature and bring it back. Colbert argues with Saru that it is not like walking someone or waking someone from a nap. The tardigrade is now uh, in survival mode. Ripper's only way to get out of Klingon space, so he tells nearby standmates to be ready to force a creature to comply. And uh, he follows his orders. Uh, on the prison ship, the Klingons return and ask the prisoners to choose their pain. Preparing to choose mud, Tyler asks Lorca to pick him instead. Lorca reluctantly agrees. Uh, the Klingons begin brutally attacking Tyler once more until he suddenly moves out of 
away on the floor, distracting the guards and the lion lark to subdue the Klingon watching them. So the, the two of them team up, beat these couple of Klingons, and uh, this, they kill the two of them by breaking their necks, and take the Klingon destructors. Uh, so what's like, you know, where the hell did that come from? And Taylor replies that escaping from the ship was also, was always a two-man job. He was just waiting for the right man to come along. So these two are going to escape now. And uh, Mud realises he's been played for a change. And uh, he's starting to walk out of the cell with the other two Starfleet officers. And he's he stopped by Lorca. Uh, he tells him, you sold us out and you'll stay in the prison for it. Lorca had some mud in the mouth of the weapon and they walk out and lock the door behind him. Uh, mud trapped in there. Last we see him in this episode that uh, he tells Lorca that he cannot take it in the prison anymore and he promised Stella they would come back to her. <laughs> uh, they don't listen to him. Mud shouts out, you can't walk away from me Lorca I'm coming for you you hear you haven't seen the last of Harcourt Fenton mud so you were just waiting for that response at the end of this episode and if you knew the the original series uh, mud turned up quite a few times just to torment Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise um, so we are going to see him again in this series and it's a, a damn good episode whenever he does get back Anyway, there's a fight trying to get off the ship. And, uh, yes, where are we at on the notes? There's Klingons coming at them steady. There's hand to hand combat. They're shooting them down with the disruptors. Tyler eventually collapses and encourages Lorca to leave him behind. Uh, Lorca's not gonna leave him. He's a get up soldier. And, uh, they're almost out of there when Lorel comes over to Tyler and asks if he can really leave her after all they've been through together. So at this point, you know, you're thinking that this is just a, a simple... Uh, like Tyler said that the, the female captain has taken a liking to him and you kind of think it is that simple at this point, but it's definitely it's deeper than that. Uh, Lorca takes a shot at Laurel with the disruptor, misses her, but he, he hits the wall next to her, but scars her face and burns her her scream in this episode is absolutely fan bloody tastic she acted it so well so at the end of the episode uh, they get a Klingon raider they're escaping but there's uh, three raiders after them they're flying through space and uh, Lorca manages to destroy one of them and they managed to get in contact with uh, Discovery. And uh, the Discovery manages to beam the two of them out just before the radar is destroyed. Uh, Lorca hails the bridge from uh, the transporter room to initiate the spore drive. Through calls engineering, uh, Stamets, are we ready to go? And uh, Stamets simply replies that they are ready to jump. So they do, they jump the Discovery, they get out of there, and uh, yes, there's no place I'd rather be, uh, is what uh, Tyler says, and uh, where is it, uh, I, I jumped ahead, yep, 
Taylor thanks Lorca for asking you him essentially and Lorca wonders why since he dragged the lieutenant back into the war on a ship with a target in his back and there's no place I'd rather be <laughs> Taylor says Suri calls down the engineer to congratulate Stan Metz but there's no answer um, there's a report that Stan Metz is an engineer but his life signs are in distress uh, once everybody gets down there they discover that Stan Metz is in the the jump chamber, unconscious. He injected himself with the tardigrade DNA and plugged himself into the spore drive. Um, Tilly wonders, is he dead? Suru takes a, a look at him. Just then, Stanmates awakens and asks if they made it. Suru tells him they did, and the lieutenant begins to laugh hysterically. So, uh, coming up to the end of the episode, we, we get a a moment between Saru and Burnham and her quarters and she tells me you know, Tilly's already brought her up to speed in the situation with Ripper and Burnham asks Saru one question is he afraid of her? Saru says he's not he is angry at her he's very jealous that he never got the chance that he that she had to be the first officer under Captain Georgie and the, the Shanzu and learn everything she had to teach so uh, he anticipated that Burnham would get her own command and he would move up but he never got the chance and it's all Burnham's fault essentially uh, he believed that if he had he would have been more prepared for the events of today Burnham assures him that he did very well and that Captain Georgie would have thought so too uh, Burnham then goes under the bed to get the captain's telescope tells Saru that it is his now before he leaves Saru tells Burnham that Captain Lorca has not yet been cleared for command and he has much to attend to uh, he does order Burnham to do one thing go and save Ripper's life um, elsewhere Tilly uh, an engineer Tilly's with Burnham uh, she says, May the sun and moon watch your comings and goings and the endless nights and days that are before you. A ripper still in his comatose state. And uh, Tilly asks Burnham if she's sure this is going to work. Burnham says she's not sure, but she adds that if ripper's response to an adver- adverse environment that does not consider it to be hospitable, she notes that this creature has not has been to the far ends of the universe and she hopes that what makes this creature most happy is to be free so uh, they take some spores they pour them over the top of the creature and they release him into space uh, where he essentially comes back to life and uh, you know kind of you see the electricity of like the, the jump that they the discovery would do whenever it jumps and ripper disappears so what's free that's out of there uh, in the, the ready room of the, the ship the computer is about to begin a performance review of Saru but he cancels the protocol saying aloud I know what it did so uh, at the end of the episode Colburn Stanmets quarters Colburn he's scanning Stanmets with uh, a tricorder and you know Stanmets is like will you stop worrying about me stop doctoring me uh, you know, so you, you're getting more of the personal relationship between these two here. They're standing there cleaning their teeth and whatnot. Uh, 
Stamets tells his partner that the captain's life was in danger and he did what he had to do to save the ship and get them out of there. But uh, Culber, he's like, you know, captains are in danger every day. And uh, Stamets says that for his whole career, he has been trying to understand the, the essence of mycelium and now, for the first time he does, uh, during his connection to the spore drive, he saw the vast network, an entire universe of possibility. Um, he never dreamed such a thing existed, you know. Um, also, he knew that Culber would, would, would leave him if he let anything else in danger of the creature. So, uh, you know... <laughs> Culver's like, don't do anything that stupid ever again. Uh, you may not care, but you, he adds, but I do. Uh, before going to bed, Culber asks Stamets if he feels okay. Stamets says that he does. And uh, interestingly, at the end of the episode, Stamets leaves the the bar and the bathroom. The two of them are standing in front of the bar, cleaning their teeth. And when they both leave, uh, we see the reflection of Stamets in the, the mirror hasn't moved and it's about five seconds behind where he's at. So it, that's where we close off at. Um, it is a fantastic episode and I didn't think I would talk just this long about it. Uh, but it was good. It was good. It, it changes the... Uh, it changes the whole setup of the, the spore drive and uh, moving forward it's going to be completely different but uh, it was something that you've seen coming uh, they weren't going to keep harming this creature and I think just, you know, this is the first time Star Trek was back this came out before Picard, didn't it? Mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, big budgets and that there and like animating this creature for two or three episodes was one thing but you know, the to keep uh, animating it for an entire season and then of course in season 2 you're going to have the spore drive again to, to keep you know the, the amount of money they would have to spend just to keep animating the tardigrade would be insane and you know a workaround to that would be to be using the the same sequence over and over again but then you don't want to be doing that either because it just looks cheap after a while so it's, it is class I love it great series I'm going to cut it off here guys because I've talked long long enough here so uh, yes if you enjoyed this episode please follow the show uh, give it a little rating review uh, I'd really really appreciate it so that's going to do it guys stay safe and I'll talk to you on the next episode this has been a production of Coins Edge Media thank you so much for listening 